The Kakadu Plum is an Australian native superfood containing 100 times more vitamin C than oranges. So why have you never heard of it? PR. No one's drinking a Kakadu smoothie? I'm JB Smooth, and that was a full episode of my new podcast, Straightforward. Inspired by guaranteed straightforward pricing from AT&T Fiber. Get what you want without the complicated. AT&T Fiber, live like a gagillionaire. Available wherever you get your podcast. Limited availability in select areas. Visit att.com slash hypergig for details. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This Day in History class is a production of iHeartRadio. Hello, and welcome to This Day in History class a show that races through history one milestone at a time. I'm Gabe Luzier, and in this episode, we're looking back at the time when sled dog racing was considered for inclusion as an official Olympic event, only to get snubbed for the better part of a century. The day was February 6th, 1932. A dog sled racing event was featured at the Winter Olympic Games for the first time. The sport made its Olympic debut as a so-called demonstration event, a way to familiarize spectators with lesser-known forms of competition and to gauge interest for adding them to the official program. Other demonstration sports that year included women's speed skating and curling. The first demonstration events were held at the second Winter Olympic Games, which were held in 1928. The practice of testing out events for potential future inclusion remained part of the event until the early 90s, when demonstration sports were finally discontinued. As for dog sledding, it was first developed by Inuit communities, not so much as a sport, but as a primary means of transportation. By the turn of the 20th century, sled dogs were being used by settlers in Arctic and subarctic areas, not only for general travel, but for freight hauling and mail delivery as well. This quickly led to the rise of recreational dog sledding, especially in regions well-suited to the cold-weather sport, including Norway, Canada, and Alaska. 
That said, some countries with warmer climates began putting their own spin on dog sled racing. That includes South Africa and New Zealand, where wheeled carts were typically used in place of sleds. By 1932, the sport was considered popular enough to be featured at that year's Winter Olympic Games. The 1932 Games were held at Lake Placid, New York, and as you may have noticed, they took place during the Great Depression. As a result of the worldwide economic crisis, only 17 countries attended, represented by about 250 athletes, more than half of whom were from Canada and the United States. The organizers had built a new stadium and bobsled run for the games at a combined cost of nearly $400,000. And since ticket sales never hit the heights expected, the organizers wound up suffering huge financial losses from those investments. Still, they did at least get some good use out of that brand new stadium. It was used not only for the opening and closing ceremonies, but for some hockey games as well as the start and finish of two events, the 18-kilometer cross-country ski race and the dog sled demonstration. The sledding competition consisted of two races held on February 6th and 7th. They were conducted under the rules of the New England Sled Dog Club, with both races taking place over a 25.1-mile course that wound through the back roads and trails of the surrounding area. Although 12 teams competed, they only represented two countries, with five teams from Canada and seven teams from the United States. There was meant to be a 13th team, led by American Earl Bunnell. However, he was declared a non-starter due to his unusual decision to use Irish setter dogs instead of the more traditional breeds of Huskies and Malamutes. Bunnell was not permitted to race due to the protest of Eva Seeley, the only female sled driver in the field. She reportedly raised the issue out of concern for Bunnell's dogs, which she didn't believe could handle the rigors of the trail. In the end, the organizers agreed. The remaining 12 racers set off at three-minute intervals and raced to set the best combined time for both races. Intermediate times were taken at three different points along the course each day, with the lowest total time determining the winner. Each of the sleds was pulled by seven dogs, a lead dog and six others arranged in pairs. The lead dogs were typically chosen because of their ability to understand the voice commands of their sled driver, or musher. For example, when the driver calls G or haw, the dog knows to make a right turn or a left turn, respectively. Those directional commands were essential, as a seven-dog team would have been able to pull a sled and its driver at speeds of more than 20 miles per hour. The first race proved as grueling as Eva Seeley had warned, both for the dogs and for the drivers. For example, one of Leonard Sepalia's dogs collapsed five miles from the finish line and had to be carried over it in the sled. On the human side of things, another driver finished the first race but collapsed from exhaustion after crossing the line. In the end, despite the initial setback of being one dog down, Alaskan driver Leonard Zipalia managed to finish second in both races. Each time, though, he was bested by Manitoba's Emile St. Godard, who managed to beat Zipalia by eight minutes total.
That victory proved to be par for the course, with Canada taking five of the first seven places in each race. Despite the somewhat tepid turnout for the 1932 Winter Games, the dog sled demonstration proved incredibly popular with those there. Tons of spectators reportedly lined the course. However, as you may be aware, sled dog racing never gained official event status, unlike the other two demonstration events from that year. Ninety years later, there's still a lot of discussion about why the competition got the cold shoulder, and whether it might one day make a grand return to the Winter Games. One organization trying to make that happen is the International Federation of Sled Dog Sports, which has spent years petitioning the International Olympic Committee to grant the sport official status. So why hasn't it happened? Well, part of it comes down to logistics. Depending on where the games are held, it could be extremely difficult and expensive to transport a bunch of dogs there to compete. There's also the question of whether dog sled racing should really be considered a demonstration of human athletics. A similar debate has haunted the equestrian events of the summer games for decades. For now, the Olympic fate of sled dog racing remains in limbo. It's worth noting, though, that in a 2018 Harris poll, nearly one in four Americans, about 23%, chose dog sled racing as the sport they'd most like to see added to the Winter Games. It won by a decent margin, too, with the second most popular choice, snowmobiling, claiming only 16%. This suggests that nearly a century later, there's still a lot of interest and enthusiasm for Olympic sled dog races. Although it should be mentioned that no one has polled the dogs to get their opinion. At least, not yet. I'm Gabe Luzier, and hopefully you now know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. You can learn even more about history by following us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at TDIHCshow. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can also send them my way at thisday at iheartmedia.com. Thanks to Chandler Mays for producing the show, and thank you for listening. I'll see you back here again tomorrow for another day in history class. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for The Everyday Guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count.